Hi there. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. And it's Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks I have four pages of notes. Nice to be here. So, as Philly said, my name is Patrick, part of the clergy team. Um, it really is lovely to, to be with you. I'm just going to pray. Father, I know this prayer is well known to you. You hear it from Philly and I all the time. But I also know it's powerful. Father, help in Jesus' name. <laughs> Jesus told us not to use too many words, didn't he? But I tell you what, it's a powerful prayer. I pray it a lot. Um, so I've got, I think we've got Paddy to thank for um, allocating uh, me this particular few verses um, in the Sermon on the Mount. So um, those of you that were here last week, um, it was Sermon on the Mount Part 1, and um, James Peterson was speaking. Uh, which was, he was brilliant. And there was a bit I picked up towards the end where he was basically saying, God wants to bless us so that we can bless. And that's the purpose of being salt and light. He wants to bless us so that we can um, bless others. And actually, it just reminded me of a psalm, Psalm 67. And it says this, it says, God, be gracious to me or gracious to us and bless us, and make your face shine upon us. It's stunning, isn't it? Am I quite echoey? Is this annoying? Okay, good. Make your face shine upon us. And it, it is amazing, but it slightly feels that it's all about me, and sometimes the charismatic, and apparently I think we are meant to be charismatics, but the charismatics um, are accused of being a sort of a bless me crowd. Bless me, make your face shine upon me so that your ways may be known on the earth, your saving power, your salvation power, healing, saving, making whole power on the earth may be known to all nations. That's what it's about. So it's bless me so that I may be a blessing. Um, 
What I want to do, so the title that um, Paddy's given this talk is Jesus, the Bringer of Life. And what I want to do is um, just kind of give you essentially the talk in a few words so that if you zone out or decide I'm going on too long and leave, you know the gist of it, okay? And, and quite often, to be honest, when I do talks, I lose my way anyway. So it's good to just tell you what I'm trying to say right from the start and then you know. So it's this thing of the law... What is it? Is it relevant today? And, and what I've realized is Jesus actually sums it up. Obviously, the, the scripture we've heard says he fulfills it, but he sums it up really in one word. It's all about love. If you can be love, then you're fulfilling the law. That triggers the question for me, well, how the heck do we be love? I think it has something to do with dying. I think we've got to learn to die to our self and our self-centered focus. So we've got to be honest, and then we've got to die. And in that place, we fully become alive, become the people we're always meant to be, which is people of love. Boom. So you can go home now and <laughs> have your roast or whatever. <clears throat> But what comes to mind when, when I say, uh, or even when you think about the law, when you think about the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, the Old Covenant and the Old Testament aren't one and the same, but the Old Covenant is within the Old Testament books of the Bible. But what comes to mind when you think of the law? That's a question, actually. <laughs> Moses, yeah. Ten Commandments, yeah. Deuteronomy, yeah. Anything else? Huh? Sacrifice. Striving. Come on. Yeah, it's, it's definitely that. Oh, my goodness. Anyone's doing Bible in a year, it's, it's reams of... Anyway. I mean, I have to say, I think what I, I often think about, I often think about it slightly negatively. I don't know if you guys do. And I... And I have to be honest, I do slightly feel like Jesus covered it, I don't need to look at it. There's sort of a little bit of, of, of that that goes on in me. And it's interesting in the, <clears throat> for those of you who are very good Anglicans, you will know this. So Article 7 of the 39 <laughs> Articles of the Church of England actually addresses this issue of law. Um, and what it does is it actually divides it up into three things. It talks about sacrificial or ceremonial, and it talks about civil, and it talks about moral. And essentially it says, forget the first two, it's only the last that's relevant. And I, I, they're, they're probably right. You know, we don't do sacrifices anymore. So that aspect of it is no longer required because Jesus is the sacrifice. The civic was very connected to the context, and the context is completely different. So it kind of doesn't apply, but the thing that does apply is, is the moral aspect. Um, Romans 10, it says this, for Christ is the end of the law. So you could be confused for thinking, Okay, so it is over. It's not actually relevant. But it's interesting that Jesus in, in um, Matthew 5 is kind of saying, it is, it's important. 
And he goes on to say, so that uh, there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. But when I looked up this word end, it could mean, the Greek word is telos, but it could mean the purpose or the goal, which changes it a bit. So for Christ is the purpose or is the end or is the goal. He's the end goal. He's the end. Does that make sense? So it's kind, of, it's kind of in there. And I think it's meant to be more of a positive thing, this thing of the law. If you think about sport, who, who likes or watching sport or has played sport? Most of anyone? Rugby, football, tennis, golf, cricket, lacrosse, basketball, netball. Just imagine your favorite sport and you're playing. You're the star player. You want to show off your skills. But there's no um, sidelines, there's no goal, there's no one refereeing. It literally becomes chaos and it's not a lot of fun. But as soon as somebody steps in and said, hang on, this is the court, I know the rules, I'm going to enforce them, suddenly it becomes really enjoyable. And I think that is the purpose of the law, it actually was designed to bless. But I think what happened is um, it got a bit messed up. So Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus never had a problem with the law. He did have an issue with the interpretation of it. And I think that's what um, the nub of it comes to a lot of the time. Um, in Matthew 23, it says that Jesus was speaking to a big crowd. So it's the crowds and his disciples. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. And what he means by that is, as we've already in Moses and the law. So they understand the detail of the law, and that's what they're imparting. But he continues, so do observe what they tell you. It's important. But don't follow their example, because they actually don't do what they say. And if we think about, you know, it seems to me that Jesus is always coming to something deeper. So he is going for heart issues. So he, he raises things like divorce. And the question has been thrown at him. Um, you know, Moses said it's all right to write a certificate of divorce. But Jesus says, yeah, but it's because you've got hard hearts. It wasn't that way from the beginning. It was never meant to be like that. And... Um, this is a slight sidetrack, but I always think it's interesting that God made them male and female to be in relationship together because we're so different, aren't we? What's the book? Men are from, women are from, yeah, just <laughs> really different. And I think it's on purpose. Why? Because it means that we have to die to our self-centeredness in order to love the one in front of us, the one that we're with. If we're the same, it's much easier to love if we're the same. But if we're that different, it requires sacrifice. That's for free. <laughs> um, it's also, I was just reflecting on the law, it talks about... Um, you can't touch a dead body or you can't touch somebody with leprosy 
because you immediately become unclean. That thing almost comes upon you. But it's interesting that Jesus did exactly the opposite. He touched dead bodies. He touched people who had incurable skin diseases. And what happened? Life flowed into them. So there's something about what Jesus brings in terms of fulfillment of the law, which is really powerful. Um, do you remember the transfiguration? That time when Jesus goes up on the mountain, he takes his three best mates, Peter, James, and John. Who else finds that sort of a little... How about if I was one of the others? Do you, do you often... I do think, wonder what they felt like. Anyway, took his three best mates up on the mountain, transfiguration. And what happens is Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus. Now, I'm sure we all know Moses represents the law, Elijah, the prophets. But the interesting thing is, Moses and Elijah are dead. They're not on the earth anymore, so what the heck are they doing there? It's interesting. They're dead, but they're alive. The law and the prophets, dead, but actually, they're alive. But what's even more interesting is, Jesus is there with them, the fulfillment of both, and he is shining. doesn't say they were. He is outshining both of them. And I just think there's something important about that. It's called transfiguration, or the Greek word also means transformation. And it come, you'll also find it in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the ways of thinking, the patterns of this world, but be transformed, transfigured by the renewal of your dianoia, your mind, which also means imagination. That's, that, when I discovered that, was huge. Imagination, transform, because that's where so much of what goes on in us um, dictates how we behave. Be transformed. And I think what was happening here is Jesus was saying, law and the prophets... You've just been transformed. But we have a few challenges, I think, with this. Jesus, when he, he sort of sums up the law and the prophets in Matthew 22, he's asked this question, which is the greatest commandment? He basically, this is what he says, you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, your dianoia. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like, like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we're seeing there's a, this thing that was so complicated in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant suddenly it's being consolidated down to seemingly one word. In Galatians 5 it says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, 8 says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Okay? So suddenly it's becoming much simpler. Love fulfills the law. But here's a question. 
What's love? What does it look like? Because the thing is, my understanding of love will be different to yours. Because my experience of love is probably different to yours. And so we all interpret it slightly differently. But I suspect there is a different expression of love that God has when he thinks about that word. 1 John 4 tells us that God is love. And I often think when, we're, when it describes us as being made in the image of God, what's the image? What does it look like? I often think his image is love. And if we're made in his image, we're made to look like, be love. But what the heck does that look like? And actually, I think that image that we were um, made in, in in Genesis 1 and 2, was lost at the fall. Jesus came to restore the image. But um, it then makes me think about, okay, so if I need to be transformed... The main area that needs to be transformed for me is the way I think and the emotions going on inside me and the outworking of that, my behavior. And um, I know people will say, well, God, God gave me my emotions. How many think that's true? No one, few people, yeah. The interesting thing is, I'm not convinced he did. I think all of us were born with the nature, an emotional nature of Adam and Eve, which is inherently self-centered. We live our lives through the focus of me, which means we can't love in the way we're meant to. And I don't know about you, but I, I kind of find that challenging because I've lived with my emotions, my self-centeredness all my life. And it feels like in the last year, the Lord's waking me up to... When you said you'd follow me, there was a price. But I suddenly realized I haven't always heard about this price that we pay. In um, the Synoptic, it's in Matthew and Luke. It, Jesus says this, out of the heart the mouth speaks. He says, what's going on here that we speak? It's, let me do a little... You may know this one. So this, this is a delicious cup of coffee. I actually, my favorite is iced coffee. This is a cup of iced coffee. And it's full up. And then suddenly, Philly comes along and knocks me and I spill the coffee. It goes all over the place. When we get knocked... When somebody's really angry with us and actually it's unjust or accuses us of something and they've misunderstood and there's an injustice in it, what pours out? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What pours out of us in those moments? It's, for me, it's a great lesson just to have in the back of my mind because we all get knocked from time to time. But if we can really quickly get on top of, oh, hang on, what's that bubbling up? 
So instead of trying to justify our position, how about our first response was, okay, so I wonder what's going on in their lives that they would say that. I wonder why they're so hurt. Father, bless them. Show me how to love this person. It's just a very different response to when we get knocked, what pours out. Um, I think with this, um, these emotions that just need transformation, I think that's why Jesus was so firm with Nicodemus and so hot on this, the need to be born again. Because he understood that we're born with those self-centered. I mean, we never have to teach a baby um, to, you know, to, I want milk. I want my nappy changed. You know, we have to teach children to share. We don't have to teach them to be selfish. It's, it's, just, it's just in us. And I think that's why he said, you need to be born again. It's really important. It's really important. This, this looking at life completely differently with a very different perspective. And one of the things I often find helpful is um, Jesus said, um, I speak of what I have seen with my father. I love that because it, it's, it, he's seeing something from a different perspective. He's, he's seeing the thing from heaven's perspective. And I love the fact that it's with the Father. It's the relational aspect of it. So I don't know if, whether that's helpful. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was an extraordinary man in the Second World War and actually died. Um, he was killed by the Nazis, um, essentially for his faith. He said this, salvation is free. That's true. It's a free gift. Jesus gave of himself freely. It's a free gift for all of us. Salvation is free. Discipleship will cost you your life. That's the cost. It's everything. Uh, Revelation 12, this is a well-known verse. It says, and they have conquered him, the enemy. It's often used when we think about spiritual warfare, maybe. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of... Now, some translations say their testimony. Some say his testimony. So it could be Jesus' testimony. And normally people stop there, but it actually continues, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Cost of discipleship. Jesus said in uh, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, he said this, he said, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves. Take up their cross, and Luke says, daily take it up, and then follow me. I often wonder, what is the cross? He's talking about that, because it, it could be any number of things. But I think it's that dying to self. Every day, that self-centeredness, dying. So I just want to have a little think now about what is love. Because if love is the law and the prophets, if love is the key, and it seems to be, if love is the um, self-giving, dead-to-self response to people, then we need to know what it is. 
And actually, we do have it. You know, Paul does probably a very good job, actually, in describing it in 1 Corinthians 13. So he says, love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, and it doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. I'm probably in trouble. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. The thing that really, when I was reading this, jumped out of me was it does not insist on its own way. It's a big deal, I think. Because we do, even with the softest hearts, you know, when we've been wronged, we do want to justify and even when we're right, we know we're right. But is being right more important than love? You know, before that, he actually lifts all the spiritual gifts. If you can heal all people, if you have all knowledge, it's actually worthless if you don't have love. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a few verses that's well worth meditating, spending a bit of time on, because it's powerful, but... Boy, is it challenging. Romans 8, 38 says this, For I am sure, and what he's talking about here is again the things that cannot separate us from the love of God. That's the extraordinary thing. Even though we might fail in the area of love, boy, he doesn't. Um, For I'm sure that neither life nor death, you notice the extremes, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, etc., can separate us from the love of God. It's extraordinary. But again, the thing that jumped out at me here was, nor things present, nor things to come. What's missing? Why is it not there? Things past. Again, my theory is this. The reason things past isn't mentioned is because those negative things of our past are covered by the blood. We actually have no right to go there. It's a no-go zone. The only reason that we have access to that aspect of the past is to tell the testimony of transformation. So we should never really live in response to the negative aspects of our past. Because today is the day of his love in our lives. And today is the day that we are to be love. And obviously in the future. Does that make sense? That said, I understand it's challenging. Because almost all of us, if we're honest, carry the hurts and the challenges of the past into the present. But I just encourage you just to lay those things before the Lord and say, actually, I want to be free of that from now on. I want to become who you made me to be. I want to become love. I want to look like you. And um, I was just thinking, you know, how how do we actually do this? How do we die to self when, if again, if if I think of my own life, I carry me into almost everything that goes on in my life. It's always through the, the lens of me and what's going on. So how do I die to that? Really, really. Because w- what I want to do is when, 
when I meet somebody for the first time, I want them to go away saying, not I met Patrick, but I met Jesus in a man. What do you say? They say, I met Jesus in a woman. That's the call on our lives. But we've got to learn to die. And, and to be honest with you, I don't really have a succinct answer to this. I'm not really sure how one does it. Apart from it's a daily conscious thing. It says daily, take up that cross. And for me, the, the, the one thing that was, was helpful is um, John 15. And if you've read that, but it's basically Jesus, he's speaking to his followers. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's something about developing that relationship with Jesus. Making him... I don't know. For me, I've just tried to be more conscious of him throughout the day. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It's not like I'm praying all day. But I'm just aware of, of him in and through the day. And, and being very deliberate about it. And um, I found that helpful. Because I think when you're thinking about him, it's hard to think selfishly. And when you're thinking about him, who is love, he's the personification of love, then you just kind of become a bit more loving. Does that make sense? So, um, okay, I'm going I'm to come into land, I think. I want to kind of pray a prayer, but... And it's... it's up to you guys whether you want to join me in it. But it is a prayer related to dying. And it's, it's, it's kind of saying, Holy Spirit, help me to be dead so that I can truly live as the person you always intended me to be, as Father intended me to be. So if you're up for that, stand, put a hand on your heart, one hand out, because we, we need to receive. <laughs> and I'm going to pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, I want to truly be able to say this. Do it. Yeah, go on then. I want you to do a work of transformation in my life. So that I can honestly say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith and the life of the Son of God. Jesus himself, Jesus himself, who loved me and gave himself for me.